This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, May 6th, 2022. We're going to learn more about Fiddler on the Roof later. Say goodbye to Rhonda Dillard, who's leaving us after 28 years. But we're going to start off with our friend Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics, who is in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News studio. Welcome, Michael. 28 years. What did you do to run Rhonda off? Yeah, I Just think 20... <laughs> 28 years of with Kyle's enough? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think she would say that. How are you doing? Doing well. Very well. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about this um, latest development with the Ford Chaffee Redevelopment Authority. Um, this has to do with property and land and what can be done with it? Yeah, there's been some um, – I wouldn't say it's a controversy, but there's been some consternation maybe is the word uh, with some folks who – have wanted to buy property and um, they don't believe that their property offer got maybe the respect or that it deserves. So they've made some complaints to the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority. Um, and by way of reminder, that it's more than 7,000 acres out there that was handed over to the military, handed over from military to civilian control um, back in the mid 90s. 1997 is when the FCRA was created. And their job, their sole job is to sell all that land and eventually go away. Sure. You know, to turn right. It Make yourself obsolete. Yeah. So during an April 21st meeting, there was an attorney, John Alford, who brought this complaint to the board and, and even said there's been an offer, not almost a million-dollar offer to buy the golf course out there. And he said, quote, most of you don't know anything about that. And sure enough, they didn't. So the trustees met again this Wednesday. And after about an hour discussion, long story short, they decided – um, they're going to have a few of the members look at some potential ideas, policies about how all ideas can – part of the bottleneck some of these people allege is that Daniel Mann, who's the executive director, doesn't just reject some and they don't always get filtered up to the – what's see. called the Real Estate Review Committee and then ultimately the board. So they're going to look at a process that even those offers – because Mann alleges that some offers they get are just – not but, worth. Yeah, it's either the money's not even close to right or they don't meet the use requirements. And there are many other factors. And he, some he just dismisses out of hand, which frankly is what the FCR, hired, FCR board hired him to do. As sort of be a filter. Yes. But they're going to come up with some plan. Who knows what that's going to look like where even the rejected offers, there's a list or whatever that says this was rejected and here's why. And so that everybody knows what comes through. So um, – Maybe maybe that'll, you know, quash some of the complaints. Uh, but this is not, you know, an insignificant issue. There's over five million in land sales out there last year, wow. and so there's still a lot of property um, to sell. But they are on the downside of that. They have fewer acres to sell um, than they have. Uh, I mean, they're on the, like I said, downside of that. They have. They, they sold more than they have left. There you go. Thank you. So we'll we'll see. We're going to watch this, but. Um, there's a lot of development out there, um, and, and there are a lot of folks that are already out there that want to make sure future development meets those use, and it's not just kind of hodgepodge. Well, the next thing I want to talk to you about is kind of adjacent to this in that it is an approved zoning uh, for residential um, – for homes that might be foreign pilots and families who are coming in. Uh, beginning next year. Yeah, so this is interesting for two reasons. You mentioned one of them. The other is this: the site location is really in the middle of Fort Smith. That's right. Um, 
north of I-540, right across on the south side, you'll have the essentially the airport and the mm-hmm. air guard base. But this site, and it's on the side of a hill. It's a heavily wooded area. And Mark Rouse, his goal is to build what he calls treetop homes. Now, he says he – well, he has. He's developed these treetop homes uh, near Mount Sequoia and Fayetteville, and so they've mm. been very successful. They're vertical homes. They're oh, two- and three-story homes. Right. They have a little rooftop, rooftop terrace either on the second or third floor, depending on the layout of the property. And they're high-end homes. Yeah. Um, they'll be close to 220, 225 square foot, close to 450, maybe 500,000 or more. Um, and at, then at the base of this hill, there'll be some, what well, he says are high-end duplexes and apartments and that type of thing. But yes, his goal um, is to sell to some of these foreign m- military pilots and their families who are coming in through this foreign military sales program, which they're really not going to get here until middle of next year. Uh, if it's approved, the deal is not 100%, but it's pretty close. So that's his goal. And it's a $50 million development, which is, you know, uh, Kyle, a lot, most of the of the uh, residential development in Fort Smith has been to the south and the east. Right. It's been a while since you've had an infill project like this in Fort Smith. So $50 million, very unique type homes, high-end homes. Um, uh, so we'll see how that goes. But they should begin construction soon, the Fort Smith board. It had it had to have a complete zoning change, and there were some residents who were concerned about the traffic, mm-hmm. concerned about the water flow off that hill. Once you, yeah. But Mark Rouse, his his goal, he said, he has to keep the trees. The whole selling point of having treetops, home, treetop homes, is that you have trees. Ah, well, yeah. So, you know, he has assured the city uh, board and some of those concerned residents that the trees will stay, and they have to work with the city engineers on water flow. So he can't do any, everything has to meet the city requirements. So um, if all of that uh, goes like both the city engineers and Mr. Rouse says, it should be a very interesting and very nice addition uh, to that part of Fort Smith. So these foreign pilots that would be coming in ideally to buy these homes, they're not going to, the plan isn't they're going to live there forever. Well, no, I don't know how that'll work. That okay. is a good point because, you know, the the whole concept of this is they come in short term. Right. So I don't know how they'll occupy it. But that property, if you're in one of those treetop homes, you will literally be able to look down on the air guard base. You'll be that's able cool. to see the planes coming yeah. and going. So I think that's why he sees that as an ideal location. And he said roughly 60 percent uh, of the homes will go. And remember, they're also bringing in – more active Air Force personnel True. as part of this. Right. So we'll see uh, We'll see how that goes. I'm not sure how many – I think you'd probably have to be an Air Force officer to afford a 400000 yeah. $400, plus home, but yeah. we'll see. Finally, uh, I have often mentioned that I do not have the Constitution to be in the career of trucking. Oh, gosh. The whiplash that you get, the, the market and, and the economy can, can seem uh, – well, mercurial at best, but good news for some trucking firms in the last week. Yeah, you know, we've seen great numbers out of J.B. Hunt, out of uh, Pam Transport, and then now ArcBest has reported recently. Um, they reported a first quarter net income of almost $70 million. That was a record for the company, and it was well ahead of the $23 million they made last year, the same quarter last year. Um, 
Revenue for them in the quarter was uh, $1.3 billion. Uh, that was up 61% compared to last year. Wow. Um, USA Truck, a Van Buren-based company, uh, also had record quarterly earnings. They had net income in the quarter of a little over $13 million. Uh, it's almost three times higher than the same quarter of last year. And their revenue uh, was a little over 200, $201 million, which is also a record. So, yeah, both of those companies are doing very well. Their stock, stock price is doing well. How's the driver shortage these days? Well, well, so it's interesting. USA Truck is probably challenged with that. But remember, ArcBest, their primary right. trucking operation is ABF Freight. It's a less right. than truck little company, and they're a union company. So they now while they do have to pay higher wages and they have a higher benefit structure, they have the benefit of everybody wants those jobs. Those are good jobs. They're funny union jobs. And so that turnover, yeah, funny how that works. So they, they don't have that uh, big of an issue. Now, when uh, the supply chain bottlenecks work themselves out sometime later this year, next year, it's going to be interesting to see um, how these trucking companies, even J.B. Hunt, which has a large intermodal operation, how they perform because they're literally making hay while the sun shines. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You can read about these items and many others at talkbusiness.net. I am about to go on a sabbatical. So for the next four weeks, you're going to be talking with Matthew Moore. Well, that'll be a, that'll be a pleasant change. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Tilly is with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, thank you. You're welcome, sir. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Opera in the Ozarks presents its 71st summer season, June 24th through July 22nd, with 22 performances at Inspiration Point in Eureka Springs, plus special events in Fayetteville and beyond. Featuring nearly 50 vocalists from across the nation, this year's operas include Cosi Fantute, La Rondina, and A Little Night Music. Tickets and season schedule at opera.org. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in Little Rock is releasing floodwaters from Beaver Dam in western Carroll County after heavy rains inundated our region this week. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Since Wednesday, northwest Arkansas has received up to a half foot of rain in some places following successive heavy rain events in April. As a consequence, Beaver Reservoir is at capacity. The 28,000-acre White River impoundment covers portions of Washington, Benton, and Carroll Counties. Jay Woods, public affairs specialist with the Little Rock District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, says all seven floodgates on Beaver Dam were opened afoot Wednesday morning to release water. By early Thursday morning, gates were open four more feet and will remain so until lake levels drop. And that's releasing about 43,000 cubic feet per second through the reservoir gates. The normal reservoir level is 1,121 feet. It's risen 10 feet. Opening the floodgates releases excess water to prevent overtopping or water spilling over the top of the dam, which could lead to a catastrophic failure. Anytime we open the gates, you know, we sound horns to let people know that uh, that water's coming. Images of the open floodgates show seven massive waterfalls inundating the turbulent White River below. The dam, which provides hydroelectricity to the power grid, periodically releases water downstream, blasting a horn to warn kayakers and those fishing along the river. 
Those living on the lake and downstream below the dam are required to build well above the Corps of Engineer floodplain to be safe. When floodgates are opened, visitors and residents are warned to keep their distance until the situation eases. Wood says residents can obtain reservoir conditions data as well as recreational status via the district's new phone app. And the app is called USACE Little Rock. It has releases from the dam. It has lake forecast that people can download uh, and they can see, you know, how much we're releasing. And we also link to the National Weather Service who who monitors and forecast the, the river levels down past our reservoirs. Search Little Rock District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which can also be found on Facebook. The National Weather Service has predicted dry conditions starting this weekend through next week, with temperatures reaching the upper 80s in northwest Arkansas. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This is Ozarks at Large. With me from her office in Bella Vista is Becca Martin-Brown, the features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, I'm tired of the rain. How about you? We're not going to talk about anything this week, Kyle. We're going to give swimming lessons over the radio. (laughs) Or ask everybody if they know somebody named Noah. Well, yeah, get on that boat. Yeah. But if you're brave enough to go out, there's a play going on at Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers that might be a little more timely than they could have ever guessed when they put it on the schedule. Okay. It's called The Revolutionists written by Lauren Gunderson, and it's set in the French Revolution in 1793, and it's about four women who are trying to change and or fix the mess that France is. Mm. The playwright says about it, The play is about a moment in history where the rich and poor were light years apart in lifestyle. The country was in multiple wars. The debt was huge. The workers overtaxed. Trust in the government was nil. The leaders were corrupt and greedy. There was racism, sexism, poverty, violence, and extremism. The only difference between them and us is the year and the continent. Yikes. It is, however, not as serious... (laughs) (laughs) As <laughs> that sounds. Yeah, because that sounds pretty serious. They're, the characters are all very lively and very funny. And there is a guillotine. So you know there's a, a tragedy in it. Mm-hmm. But I think you'll walk away with an awful lot to talk about. And it all hinges on a playwright who's being asked to write things for the movement and write things for an assassin who wants words worth dying for. And the actress is Mary Maxwell, who's been in several shows at APT, but she really gets her star turn in this one. Plus there's the costumes. It's four fascinating characters, four great actors. Yeah. Opens tonight at eight o'clock. Runs tonight and tomorrow night. No Sunday matinee because it's Mother's Day, which uh-huh. seems kind of odd to me, but oh well. <laughs> and then again, May 12th through 14th and a matinee on the 15th. Tickets start at 20 bucks. Or if it's not raining and you're in Rogers, 
Rail Yard Live is featuring the Kate Brothers tonight. Saturday, choices that you can't do all of, it won't work. At Mount Sequoia, at 6 o'clock, Kelly and Donna Mulholland are debuting a new show called Words on Birds. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with this. This started with Donna being what she calls a craftivist. Right. And making felted birds that she adopted into good homes in exchange for a donation for bird programming at the Audubon camp, which is at Clear Creek, exactly. Clear Fork, near Hot Springs. Right. And so now there's a music show to go with it. And they'll also have a speaker with North Song Wild Bird Rehabilitation to talk about saving raptors and birds of prey. Excellent. And there will be a no- donation jar, and it's all free. And it happens at the Bailey Center at Mount Sequoia at 6 o'clock Saturday. And you can check the Mount Sequoia website to find out about seating availability. There's an opera at 8 o'clock on Saturday night at the Star Theater at Walton Arts Center that sounds super cool. This is Tamara Ryan's Opera Fayetteville, and they're doing a piece called Second Nature, which was commissioned to be performed at the Lincoln Park Zoo with kids in mind and a talking bonobo. And the whole premise is kind of the Garden of Eden backwards. Mm-hmm. Because these people are living in a closed habitat because they messed up nature so badly. Eight o'clock Saturday, Star Theater tickets are $25 at WaltonArtCenter.org. Now, here's the whole other list of things to do. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Okay. Saturday is the Bridge of Love Living Art Installation in Eureka Springs. That's part of the May Festival of the Arts. You can go and leave a flower tribute to your mother Mm. underneath the Main Street Air Bridge. And then you can stick around in Eureka Springs because the Art Rages Parade is back at 2 o'clock through downtown. Yeah, that sounds so fun. I know. There's a milkweed giveaway Saturday morning from 9 to 11 at the Shiloh Museum. The Rogers Historical Museum is opening an exhibit called Civil War in Benton County, Untold Stories. It's Super Saturday Free Comic Book Day from 10 to noon at the Fayetteville Public Library. That's right. It's the mostly fiction-used book sale at the Fort Smith Main Library. It's the Little Craft Show from 11 to 6 at Shiloh Square in Springdale. It is... Motorcycle Rally Weekend in Fort Smith. And if you want to see the motorcycle parade, Thunder Through the Valley, that's at 4 o'clock Saturday on Garrison Avenue. Mm -hmm. And Trail Mix is at 5 o'clock on Saturday around the Walton Arts Center. They moved it off of the trail and they're using Walton Arts Center spaces because of trail construction. Oh, of course, of course. Well, I look forward. Gosh, mm, how am I going to do all of that on Saturday? Oh, okay. Well, uh, music on the mountain on uh, Saturday is Los Valeros presented by the Jazz Society and Artosphere at six thirty. Little River Band plays at seven thirty Saturday at the Eureka Springs City Auditorium, and Rail Yard Live presents Funk Factory at eight o'clock. There's no way I can do that. Oh, stop! What? There's an alumni. 
<laughs> there's an alumni recital with Opera in the Ozarks alumni Justin Burgess and Don Pierce at 2.30 at First United Methodist Church in Eureka Springs. And it is the 30th birthday celebration of Cheap Thrills in Fayetteville. And they are having music, drag performances, and a crochet art installation by Gina Galena from 3 to 6 on Sunday. Well, that's a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck with that. Well, I would tell you that next week I would get you up to date on all of the things I did or didn't do, but I will not be here next week. For the next four weeks, you'll be talking with Timothy Dennis. I envy you your sabbatical. I hope it's wonderful fun. And Tim and I will try not to do anything that embarrasses you too much. (laughs) I don't even know what to do with that. Becca Martin-Brown, features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I will miss you while I'm away, Becca. I can't wait to talk to you the first Friday in June. How's that? We will keep the home fires burning. Fiddler on the Roof will close out the formal 2021-2022 Walton Arts Center Broadway season beginning Tuesday night. The musical first played before live audiences 58 years ago with songs like Sunrise, Sunset, and If I Were a Rich Man. It's fitting Noah Luce Berenblatt is part of the national tour as Hava. This became apparent during our conversation yesterday when she told me the first movie she remembered seeing in a movie theater was... Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof is one of the first movies I remember seeing, period, in my life. <laughs> really? Well, let's, let's, yes, yeah. let's start the conversation there. What do you remember about seeing that iconic filmed version of, of this work? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it really is. It's one of my, my earliest film memories, watching Fiddler on the Roof on my TV at home. Um, and the scene that always stuck with me was the, the miracle of miracles scene in the woods when Mottel is singing to Seidel. For some reason, that always just, just stuck in my head. That's such a, a joyous number and a great scene in the movie. So I imagine when the opportunity came to be part of this production, it just seemed like something that you should do. Yeah, yes. You know, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those shows that I feel like has has lived in me for a long time. The music is, is so familiar to me and I've, I've loved it my whole life. Um, and so it's, it's of course one of those shows that I, I hoped I would get to do one day. I've never gotten to do it before this tour. So definitely very special. What's amazing because it was a period piece when it was first on Broadway, right? And then it mm-hmm. has become this venerable uh, production and it still feels to you new, vibrant? Yes, absolutely. It really does. I, I have done the show, I think a little, just over around 350 times. And I have to tell you, I, every time I do it every single night, I still learn something new or I discover something new. It's, it's just incredibly fresh and beautiful and relevant. All right. I want to ask you three more questions about you. One, you are a self-described master sugar cookie decorator. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've always loved uh, visual art. And at some point during college, I think it was around my senior year, I couldn't tell you what 
what made me decide to do this. But at some point during my senior year of college, I watched started watching YouTube videos on how to decorate sugar cookies with royal icing. Um, and I got very into it. <laughs> um, and I, I'm, I'm, I've become quite good at, um, at baking and, and decorating sugar cookies with really intricate designs. Um, so it's sort of something on the side that I enjoy doing as a hobby um, because it fulfills that love that I have for, for visual art and, and making things with my hands. Well, learn, learning this through, you know, watching others on, on YouTube, is that kind of the way you learned acoustic guitar then? Um, yeah, partially. I, let's see, I kind of, well, I grew up, um, when I was growing up, my mom played a lot of guitar. Um, so I think I learned partially through, through watching her uh, play and sing. Um, and I also, I grew up playing classical piano pretty seriously for quite a while. So I, I love instruments. I love making music. Um, and I think I really started picking up acoustic guitar in high school. Uh, and I learned, yeah, definitely partially from YouTube videos. And I learned to read tabs so I could learn finger picking patterns. Um, so, yeah, that, that was pretty self-taught as well. All right, finally, how do you become an aerialist? Because that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> oh, it's a whole lot of fun. Um, mm. it's, it's definitely, it's not as scary as it looks. You start very, very low to the ground with very simple things, and you learn the basics of, you know, tying foot wraps and, and very basic, basic moves. <laughs> um, but I, I, started, I started learning at a studio in San Antonio, Texas, which is where I was originally born, um, and then did it sort of on and off through college. And now I also train in New York City um, at Aerial Arts NYC, which is my studio in New York City. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of time because it's, it's very, you, you have to have a lot of strength. So definitely took me some time to build up strength and stamina. And as you get more and more advanced, you gradually move higher into the air. Um, but the, the teachers, <laughs> the teachers, the coaches are, are just fantastic. And they, you, I always feel very, very safe. Um, even when I'm doing something that might look a little scary. <laughs> All right. My last question then, is there, is there anything that is, uh, common with how you feel when, when you're up in the air doing aerial work to when you're on stage in front of an audience, like you will be in Fiddler on the Roof for, um, Walton Art Center? Oh, that's a great question. I love that question. Um, yes, I would say yes. Uh, first of all, I think I think there's a lot of a lot of focus involved, you know, that that goes on both when I'm in the air and when I'm on stage. Um, and of of course, a lot of a lot of breath work, a lot of engaging of the core, but also allowing um, easiness and fluidity. Um, it's, it's actually something I've, I've thought a lot about in terms of, I, I'm also a, I'm a certified yoga teacher and I found so many similarities when I was doing my yoga training to uh, what I've learned in a lot of my movement training as an actor. So, so yeah, I, w I would say it's um, definitely, definitely there are similarities. It's, it's a very physical act uh, to be on stage and to have that, presence in front of so many people. 
Um, but there's also a lot of subtlety and, and fluidity and, and beauty that, that goes into that process. Noah Luce Berenblatt is Chava in the national touring production of Fiddler on the Roof, which opens at Walton Art Center Tuesday night. You can find out details about the eight-show run at waltonartcenter.org. Community Creative Center presents Arkansas Pottery Festival, May 6th through the 8th. The event will include pottery demonstrations and lectures, over 50 Arkansas potters, vendor booths, and more. Event schedule, photos, and more available online at communitycreativecenter.org. This is Ozarks at Large with me in the Anthony and Susan Roy News Studio, Sherry Ottaviano who is our membership director. Welcome. Good morning, Kyle Kellums. Okay, it's, it, it, we're a few days late on this, but it's time to announce a May winner, a night out on us. That's correct. And I'm excited to say that Mike and Virginia Caron, or Karen, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, in Rogers, Arkansas, are going to be the recipient of tickets to a Naturals game with a parking pass wow. and a Mockingbird Kitchen uh, or no, excuse me, Penguin Ed's uh, meal card. Okay, so um, do they pick the date for the baseball game? Or? They can pick any date that they want. I went ahead and sent a parking pass for an upcoming game, and then if you need to change it, then gotcha. I can do that for you. Um, that's really the only thing that's dated is the parking pass, but I'm excited for people to get out and be out at a ball game. We need some sun. Yes. We need some sun. I'm ready. Yes. And I checked the forecast. Um, so the day that I, the parking pass I sent is for a, a sunny day. So <laughs> <laughs> I like no, that. I, I, like that. <laughs> I try. <laughs> uh, you become eligible to become a winner by being a member in standing with KUAF. That's correct. How do you do that? You can do that by going to supportkuaf.com and making a contribution. And if you uh, do so during the month of June, uh, you will be randomly uh, selected or put into a pool to select a night out on us. And this includes anybody who's a sustaining member. If you are a sustaining member, we will throw your name in the hat as well. Jerry, thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. Jerry Ottaviano is our membership director at KUAF. Have a good day. The biomedical engineering discipline in itself is 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 really positioned very well because we're training our students uh, to develop uh, solutions with empathy at its core. I think that's very important. On the next episode of Points of Departure, Dr. Raj Rao, professor and department head of biomedical engineering at the University of Arkansas, discusses a joint class he and host Rahelio Garcia Contreras developed that includes students here at the University of Arkansas and students in Bangalore, India. They explore how empathy and human-centered design can be used to tackle shared global challenges and to create cultural competency in students. That's on the next episode of Points of Departure, a podcast from Arkansas Global Changemakers in coordination with KUAF Public Radio. You can listen for free at KUAF.com or subscribe anywhere you find your podcasts. Speaking of KUAF podcasts, this past week, the editors at NPR One selected the latest episode of Resilient Black Women, hosted by Joy McGowan and Denisha Simpson, as their podcast pick of the week. It's a podcast produced at the Carver Center for Public Radio. The latest episode is about grief, and we'd like to share just the first few minutes with you now. As we start with this conversation on grief, we want to kind of start off by just kind of defining what grief is. Tanisha, how would you uh, describe that in your own words? Um, 
it's a reaction, a response to a loss, um, an emotional reaction, physical, spiritual, um, mental response to loss, any type of loss. Yeah, grief is often described as the loss of a loved one um, whose life uh, was really important to you. Grief can be um, also caused by like a really stressful event or a cause of a major emotional crisis. Um, I mean, if we just think about what has been happening to all of us in these last two years, um, major emotional crisis, global pandemic. Um, grief is something that I think that we are, are all able to kind of relate to right now. I think the thing that I like that we always kind of say when it comes to grief is that it's not just a person that can make like a, the loss of a loved one that can make you die um, or make you feel sad or, or anxious. But it's also like transitions are hard. Um, it's also losing out on opportunities. Um, it's also, I would even say it's also like seeing moments of injustice over and over and over again. Like that is a reason to feel grief in your body. Um, and when I think through grief, y'all, like there's so many different things about like the stages of grief. There's like a five stage of grief, 12 steps of grief. There's a seven stage of grief. But the reality is like grief kind of push you through lots of different emotions. There's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Um, there's all these different things. And I think sometimes we we think that those stages are like linear like you go through one and then you go through the next and you kind of just like work your way through. I think it feels more like a circle, like you're just bouncing back and forth <laughs> all through these different places that maybe sometimes I'm angry. Maybe sometimes I'm like, I'm still in shock. Um, maybe I go back to being sad and depressed, um, but you're kind of like bouncing through it. As we process grief, we really want to just be able to acknowledge in this session about what happens to your body. Tanisha, tell us a little bit about, like, what are some things that kind of happen to our body when we start to experience grief? Um, as I said um, a couple of minutes ago, that heaviness, um, some of those physical symptoms that we can go to our PCP for and say, oh, I've been having migraines lately um, or my stomach's been hurting. Um, all of that can be just unprocessed grief. Yeah, the grief can cause... Like physical back pain, mm -hmm. physical joint pain, headaches and stiffness, grief, when it gets held in the body, it can be like stuck in like the limbic structures of your brain. Um, it can make you just feel really overwhelmed with emotions. Um, grief can have you driving into work and all of a sudden you just start crying. And you don't even really have a reason. Like you weren't thinking about the person or the thing that you lost. You're just crying. Right. I think oftentimes grief shows up in very physical ways in our bodies when we don't acknowledge it um, with a safe other. And so we hope to kind of just help our community really be able to understand when grief is showing up um, in their, their own bodies. But I think we also have like some maladaptive ways of things that we use to process grief. And so. That, that could be um, trying to suppress it, 
trying to hold it in, trying to make myself believe that like I'm okay, nothing's wrong with me. Um, it, it could also mean like turning to something to comfort me, whether it's a substance, um, like alcohol or drugs or whatever, and and maybe not even like using it so so much mm-hmm. that like I feel like I have a problem. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm just drinking a little bit more than normal every mm-hmm. single day. Um, since the event happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are all things that I hope that we recognize, like we're doing these things to comfort our bodies. Yes, that's the body's way of trying to find that comfort. Exactly. Fill that void, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. The body is trying to comfort itself. Mm-hmm. So I say this, the phrase maladaptive, which sounds like bad, like these are bad coping skills. But I guess I kind of want to reframe the bad coping skill to say that the body's trying to comfort itself. And it makes sense why you would turn to those things. Um, But it's also important to us to kind of just mention some more appropriate ways to fill that void and that comfort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. I think Mm -hmm. it's also important to kind of process like how culture and grief kind of come up I think in some ways like when I just think about black culture I think in some ways we have and maybe this is everybody's culture too like there are really good ways that people in their respective cultures like honor the dead but then there are also really like unhelpful ways where we like approach death and grief and um, coping with that Joy McGowan and Denisha Simpson are the hosts of the KUAF-produced podcast, Resilient Black Women. The entire latest episode about grief can be accessed right now through your favorite podcast source or by going to the On Air and Podcast tab found at KUAF.com. This is KUAF 91.3. For the last 28 years, the local underwriting announcements you've heard on KUAF have started with Rhonda Dillard. Rhonda is ending her time with us today, and before she leaves, we wanted a chance for a goodbye conversation. Rhonda's radio career includes a few years at KK and the student-run station KRFA. She's also been on stage with the band Ultrasuade since its inception. Yesterday, she was in the Anthony and Susan Hoy newsroom to talk about the last three decades and how her relationship at KUAF actually began when she was a student at the University of Arkansas. I did work study. I was a work study student at KUF in the old White House. Way back when. Way back when. And it's funny because this morning I was thinking, I can remember being the work study student and being on air in the afternoons. And we had little three by five index cards with the underwriting announcements. Uh No schedules, anything. You just flip through. Okay, yep, that one looks good. Time to do Dr. Turley the urologist. Exactly. And then we would... um, I remember thinking uh, during, uh, after all things considered, performance today would come on and you would have to go get this massive reel. I mean, I feel like it was 20 inches across with this big heavy reel and put it up on the machine and lock it all in and make cue it up and everything. And I thought, man, we have come a long way, my friend. Yeah, that's because uh, the shows like Performance Today, we had to record earlier in the day. And if you yeah. forgot, no show that day. You were playing a record. <laughs> Dead a record. air, yeah, a record. So you were a student. Mm-hmm. Then, let me see if I have your trajectory right. <laughs> you 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 were at KCAG. I did, yes. I worked at KCAG for five or six years, part-time. Right. Yeah. You were at Hastings. Uh, yes, at R. the R. same time. Hastings. Yeah, at the same time, both of those together. 
And then after, and it was after that that you came to us? No, no? I graduated. Well, yes. Yes and no. Work study student while I was going to school. Mm-hmm. So yes, at that time. Then when I graduated college, I went to work for my dear friends, Rick and Karina Briggs. That's right. That's right. And I was helping them do traffic. So I did that for... Oh, I don't know. A year, probably mm-hmm. a year. And then uh, PJ called me. PJ Robowski. PJ Robowski and said, we've, we've got an underwriting position open and we think you would be great for it. So I said, hated to leave Rick and Corinna, but I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. So I did. And, you know, 28 years later, here I sit. Part of a big part of underwriting is relationships. Absolutely. And I'm sure there are people that you have dealt with almost all, if not all, of those 28 years. Uh, absolutely. And they they are dear friends. I mean, that is one of the things that I'm going to miss so desperately because, you know, I know about their families. I know, you know, I remember their kids being born. I've seen their kids, you know, go through high school, start college. Mm. So, you know, I have a a very long history with the community. And one of the things that I want to do uh, during my uh, leisure time is all of these underwriting announcements that I've been writing for so, so long, but I've never had a chance to go to any of these places. Uh. So that is, this summer, is that is seriously my main goal, is I'm going to go to the Museum of Native American History. I'm going to go to botanical garden events. I'm going to do all these things I have been writing about and visiting with and help promote for all these years. That is one of the things that I'm going to do for the next year. I'm like, I, I'm making it. That's it. I'm doing it. Do you remember the first underwriting client you had? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I'm fairly certain the first underwriting client that KUAF had was Mim Wynn. Ah. Uh, but the very first one I had, Kyle, I don't remember. I think I inherited a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle... Michelle Means, Means at the time, at the yeah. time uh, had started, you know, was it was slowly getting the project going, and, and it was new ground for everyone. So, you know, she was trying to put that together. Uh, so I inherited a couple, but I don't really remember. I do remember uh, John Lewis, Bank of Fayetteville, being right. a great supporter. I do remember him being early on helping with the writing project oh, yeah. and various other things. So I remember him uh, being very close to, he and Bank of Fayetteville being very close to one of the first ones. You're a Springdale kid. I am. But you're a Northwest Arkansas person. Yes. Think back to when you started work studying that white house, that white falling down house (laughs) at the corner of what, Duncan and... Hill? Was it... Or Edward? I don't remember. I don't either. We always called it the Duncan Street house. So, yeah. You think back then when you... We didn't even have answering machines at that mm-hmm. point. If you were trying to reach someone, they had you had to sit by the phone and wait for the phone. You'd come all the way here. Yeah. What is it? You, you look back. Northwest Arkansas in those past three-plus decades, as well as KUAF, what, is it, what do you think about that? I, I think it's amazing. I mean, it's kind of shocking if you, when you do kind of step back and start looking at that trajectory. Uh, I, I don't know. It's amazing. It's it's overwhelming, but it's also so super cool that we've come to this point. I mean, uh, kind of 
going back to what we said a minute ago, there are so many cool and great things to do in northwest Arkansas. You know, it used to be so centralized. If you were in Springdale, you did this. If right. you were in Fayetteville, you did this. You know, those other places, that's another city. We don't participate right. in that. But now it's like we're almost a mini metropolis, I guess. I don't know, whatever well, you'd call it. 101st, 102nd largest Metro area in the country, I think. Yeah, so and you wouldn't even go to Fort Smith because that was oh, taking that was your life over the in your hill. hands. Yeah. yeah, that was over the big hill. We didn't dare yeah. do that, but a beautiful drive though, going through old seventy one. It, it's really nice now <laughs> right. without all the trucks. Yeah. All right. What about uh, Ultra Suede? You know what? Ultra Suede is still kicking. Believe it or not, I keep telling the band we're not dead yet. <laughs> We keep thinking we are, but we're not. But we're still, you know, booking gigs. Now, everyone, uh, well, except for a couple of us now, still work full time. So uh, we made an agreement during COVID that we would only book one show a month. Mm -hmm. So everybody wouldn't be overwhelmed and um, that sort of thing. So, yeah, we're still, we're going to play the rail yard in July, I think, and we're playing at Georgia's next Friday yeah, night, and go. so Georgia's again in October and December, and so we're booked out. All right, and I also want to ask about an event that took place at the Greek Theater <laughs> when you were at KUAF <laughs> as a student. Yes. There used to be an annual, what was it called? Slam and Jam. Slam and Jam. The Slam and Jam. So I was the station manager at KRFA, which has evolved into KXUA, right? but at the time it was K-Radio Free Arkansas yeah. and was in the same building as KUAF. So, um, you know, I worked hand-in-hand hand at KUAF and also there. But we had um, God, local hero out of Tulsa and uh, St- uh, Steve Pryor and the Mighty King Snakes, yeah. I believe yeah. it was. Yeah, it was, it was great, but I'd... I got so excited about doing those shows, and we did them annually. But I think the first one was Steve Pryor and uh, the King Snakes and, and everyone. There was a whole slew of, of performers, a lot of local mm-hmm. bands that we just mentioned. But um, I wanted to be really cool and provide the bands with cold beer. You know, I said it out loud, people. <laughs> anyway, we put a tent up behind the Greek theater, and I put a keg inside the tent. Now, let's go back in time just a bit. Yes. This was nothing that could ever supposed to be happening on campus in the Ooh. 1980s or early uh, yeah, 90s. Yeah, this was, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. No, no, this was yeah. a bad taboo. Right. And, you know, I, I was 21 at the time because I went back to college a little later. So I was 21. I was perfectly fine. I cannot vouch for anyone else. But we um, – so we had the keg, and so the performers were there, and they would get to go in and out and get a cold beer because it was super hot. And so anyway, later in the night, I was taking a deep sigh of relief and looking out the great audience, and Steve Pryor was just rocking out, and I was like, man, we did it. This this turned out great. This was awesome. And then not a few moments after I had that very relieving thought, hmm. I saw two guys carrying a keg running behind Steve Pryor and his band on the stage at the Greek Theater, and then I saw a couple police. I don't know. I don't remember if it was police or campus police. One of the two is probably campus police chasing them, and these guys were running across the stage carrying that keg trying to get away with the evidence. It was the greatest moment ever. I mean, now looking back, it was the greatest moment ever. At the time, I imagine it was a little— At the time, I had to go in front of the J board and— you know, get my hand slapped, and, you know, Rick Stockdale saved me, as he did more than once. So, But, dadgummit, that was fun. You probably didn't think at that moment 
that there would be a nearly 30-year career later or oh, more than 30-year career later. Heavens no. I mean, there's there's no way. But, you know, once I started and started working on the program and developing it, I mean, I got to I got to do everything I enjoyed. I got to meet new people. I got to build those relationships. Uh, I got I was still able to work in radio. Um, you know, go to these great events, uh, help the station raise money. It was just kind of a natural thing for me, and it honestly, it never really felt like work. Mm. I mean, it was it was that much of a joy for me to be able to do that and participate in the station. So it was it was really really great. I loved it. All right. You were helping build KUAF before there was a Crystal Bridges, before XNA, before the Razorback Greenway, before Cash, before Theater Squared. Mm -hmm. And so, and for everyone I've mentioned, there are 10 I haven't. Sure. The Unexpected in Fort Smith. But you helped get this started. This sort of, you know, KUAF helped, helped get this sort of new cultural... Um, identity started, and yeah. you were at the forefront of that. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm very flattered, and I and I appreciate. And it was, um, you know, it was done with true caring and love. I mean, I really wanted these people, the small and or the large, to succeed and to be happy with what they were doing on KUF as far as underwriting. And I always said, you know, if you're not happy with this, then we're not happy. Let's stop it. Let's do something else. I want you to be so happy that you want to stay for the next 20 years. I mean, let's make that kind of a partnership where it works. And knock on wood, it worked. Is Kim ready for a retired uh, Rhonda Dillard? You know, <laughs> I do have a, a list. Okay. Which includes clearing out a garage that literally looks like an abandoned flea market. Mm, I get it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's one of the first things on the list. Um, so, yeah, I think so. I uh, I had friends tease me last week saying, now dinner needs to be on the table every day at 530. The laundry needs to be done, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mm, no, this, nothing's going to change like that. I doubt she expects that. No, she does not. <laughs> she, she's, she's, she does know better. But you're going to stay in northwest Arkansas. Yeah. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, Kim's, our house is here. Our families are here. You know, so my friends are here. So, yeah, we're going to just stay here. And, you know, once again, maybe this fall I'll come up with some brainiac idea of let's do this or I'm going to do this or, you know, I've still got time to form oh, yes, my second do. chapter. Oh, yes, you do. Yeah. All right. What song should I play us out with? <laughs> Seriously? Yes. Barracuda. I knew it was going to be that. I knew it was going to be that. <laughs> Listen, that uh, that song was one of the things that made me want to be a guitar player, maybe made me realize it was cool for women to play rock and roll music and, uh, you know, give confidence. It's, uh, you know, it's an anthem. We'll go out with Barracuda and, and Nancy Wilson. Yes. Hart. Rhonda, thank you for all you've done. Um, don't be a stranger. I will not, and I love you. Love you.
there are a couple of other goodbyes today as well. Landry Boskamp and Angela Barron are moving on with their careers after helping us out in so many different ways at KUAF for the past few months while they were students at the University of Arkansas. Best of luck at Mercy and in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you both so much for helping all of us at KUAF navigate our way through some of the strangest months and years we've had. Your work and your patience made things better here. Best of luck for the next adventure. I'm about to take off for a bit. I'm going to take a four-week sabbatical beginning Monday. Timothy Dennis, Matthew Moore, Rachel Sanchez-Smith, and Daniel Carruth will be hosting while I'm away, and I'm leaving behind a few interviews that will be broadcast during the sabbatical. Thank you in advance to the best news team a director could hope for. I'm looking forward to the time away, but I'm looking forward to coming back in four weeks. Today's show was produced by Timothy Dennis inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors to this Friday edition of our show included Jacqueline Froelich, Michael Tilley, and Becca Martin-Brown. Resilient Black Women is produced by Lee Wood. Thanks to Rhonda Dillard and Sherry Ottaviano for coming to the studio for today's show. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Title of the theme? the first hurrah. I will be with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large, then back Monday, June 6th. Don't forget, you can listen to Ozarks at Large in so many different ways. You can hear the most recent edition by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. You can use that free KUAF app that's on your iPhone or iPad to hear past editions of our program. You can listen to every program Monday through Friday on your schedule by using the Ozarks at Large app. You can also go to OzarksAtLarge.com and listen to past full shows or individual stories and interviews. And there are links there so you can share all of that material with people you'd like through social media and email. We try to make it as easy. All of that is free. Have a great weekend from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums.